Okay. Our first reading will be from um, Isaiah 42, 5 to 9, and that's on page 513. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Our second reading is from John 8, 31 to 47, and that's on page 758. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man has told you the truth that I heard heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I am here. I have not come on my own. But he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God.
at Christmas time growing up, about this time of year. School would finally be over and um, my brothers and sisters and I would be thinking, okay, it's holidays, we're finally free. But my mum always had other ideas. She'd put us to work. I used to have to do the lawn outside and, and we didn't have a line trimmer or a whipper snipper. So I'd have to cut the edges with a pair of blunt shears. It'd take me hours, mostly because when I get overwhelmed, I'm really gifted at procrastinating. But even still, it was a big job. And, and when I had finished, mum would do what she called the inspection and then I'd be back at it again for another hour. We used to have to clean the house as well and, and the windows for some reason and, and mum always made us do it with metho and newspaper and she was very fussy about any smears and so after that there'd be an inspection as well. Now I'm sure it wasn't as bad as I remember and I'm, I'm sure other people have got stories of far worse Christmases even here probably spent down coal mines and that sort of thing <laughs> but obviously that's not going to stop me from complaining. My memory is that every year just when holidays come Our newfound freedom was not really freedom at all. And at the time, I never really stopped to ask the question, why? Why does everything need to be so tidy at Christmas? Why is it that you can't have smears on the windows at Christmas time? Somehow, we all just accepted that Christmas wasn't going to come unless everything was tidied up. It wasn't until years later, looking back, that I finally realised that it had nothing to do with Christmas at all and everything to do with mum having six kids in the house trying to kill each other and her keeping them occupied and getting them out of her hair. It's funny how many things happen at Christmas that we just do and that we don't really think about why we do them. So why do we have Christmas trees and baubles and tinsel and Christmas pudding and brandy custard and Santa Claus and all those sorts of things? I never really wonder about those things. And even about the most central things at Christmas, often we just don't push deeper and ask the question, why? Like, why exactly does God give us Jesus at Christmas? And what exactly is it about Jesus that makes him such a great, perfect, fitting gift for us? These last few weeks, as you know, we've been trying to push a bit deeper and actually answer that question and see what God is actually giving us when he gives us Jesus. We're looking at four, just four of the gifts. There's more, of course, that God gives us in Jesus. And we're seeing them from the Gospel of John. So far, we've seen that in Jesus, God gives us the gift of making himself known. We've seen that in Jesus, God gives us the gift of light. And next week, we'll see that in Jesus, God gives us the gift of life to the full. Today, we see the gift that God gives us in Jesus in John 8, 31. Have a look at it with me again. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When God gives us Jesus, he's giving us the gift of freedom. It's pretty hard to find something more highly prized in our culture today than freedom, don't you think? We've taken freedom to, to new heights as a culture and we're, we're pushing upwards, ever upwards. In the past, people fought for freedom from potential oppressive rulers like the Nazis or, or Russia. And as a culture, we've, we've extended the battlefront to all sorts of areas. So, for example, over the last 50 years, the battlefront has broadened from a fight for freedom from oppressive gender roles and stereotypes 
to now the fight is for freedom from gender altogether. And almost synonymous with freedom in our minds is individualism. So for us as a culture, now freedom is found when every individual feels free to be whatever they want to be and to do whatever they want to do, as long as in doing so they don't impinge on the freedom of other individuals to do the same thing. Freedom, individualism and tolerance, these are like three pillars guiding lights in our culture today. So surely Jesus is speaking our language here when it comes to this gift today. Surely in bringing the gift of freedom, Jesus is is speaking to the, the deep longings that we have as a culture. And surely people will sit up and listen. But actually, as we'll see, the opposite is true. Jesus is not speaking our language at all. And even offering freedom as a gift is offensive to many of us because in our understanding of freedom it can't be a gift given freedom can only ever be our innate right which we have to take hold of ourselves and we do that of course by living according to the truth of of who we are in ourselves and if you think that you can free me as a gift then you're saying that the source of freedom is outside of me beyond me And that's a bit offensive. This is exactly how the people that Jesus was speaking to here in this passage, how they reacted, offended when offered this gift. And this is our first point. Jesus brings the gift of true freedom to people who consider themselves already free. But just before we look at this, first, let's just set the scene from what we heard read just before by Mario. So it's the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people remembered how God had freed them from slavery in Egypt, and they remembered how they wandered in the desert. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and during the celebrations, apparently four massive lamps were lit up in the temple, including many smaller torches as well. And it was in this context that Jesus stood up and said what we looked at last week in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, could you imagine doing this? Imagine standing up at the Adelaide Fringe Festival and saying, I am the true fringe of the world. Whoever follows me will live an alternative and hipster lifestyle. Or imagine doing it at a a religious festival. I am the true Ramadan. Or imagine if someone walked in here today, stood up amongst us and said, I am the true Christmas. We'd never do that. But that's what Jesus is doing. And what follows after that is an argument about his authority to be doing this, to be saying these sorts of things about himself. And so, before our passage, Jesus just keeps proving to them that he's been sent by his Father and he has the authority to do it. And so, in in verse 30, we read, even as he spoke, many believed in him. But how does Jesus respond to their belief? Is he appreciative of of their vote of confidence? Is he pleased that he's finally getting somewhere? Well, look at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. Jesus' goal isn't to win fans. Jesus' goal is to set people free, to give them freedom. And freedom, Jesus says, comes from knowing the truth. Now, this isn't a kind of wise proverb, the truth will set you free, you know, the kind of thing that you can use to manipulate your kids into admitting that they've eaten the Christmas rocky road or something like that. We've got to read the whole thing. Freedom comes from knowing the truth. And Jesus says, truth comes from being a real follower of him. And being a real follower of Jesus, he says, comes not from an empty kind of belief, but holding to his teaching, literally remaining in his word. And just before this, Jesus spent quite a bit of time saying that he doesn't come with a human word. No, he comes from the Father and he speaks only the Father's word. And so what Jesus is saying here is that true freedom comes from fully embracing him as God's word given to us. Do you see how Jesus' idea of freedom is quite different to one that we might have or our culture might have? So too often for us, freedom comes first before truth. And sometimes for us, we separate freedom and and truth completely. So let me give you an example. Think of someone who's tempted to have an affair. They're struggling in their marriage and, and it's hard work. And then suddenly they find themselves falling in love with someone else. And then they discover that other person feels the same way. How do they feel in that situation? Well, they feel like freedom would be to walk through that door and to give in to temptation. And actually, we're all prone to this kind of thinking. That's why when you're watching a movie about this kind of thing, you can find yourself hoping that the main character actually frees themselves. But in real life, what's actually happening? What's the truth? Well, we've all seen this happen with friends or family. Maybe some of us have experienced this. In reality, what's happening is that truth gets pushed down for freedom. The truth is that what they're about to do is an incredibly selfish, ugly, cruel thing but we're so prone to see this kind of thing as freedom. And this kind of freedom for us all too often trumps truth. But Jesus says true freedom can only come with truth. And he says the truth we really need is only found in embracing him as God's word given to us. I saw a really interesting video a couple of years ago that a short white guy made on a university campus in America. He was interviewing random students that he came across and he was asking them, if I want to be a female, can I be a female? Pretty much all of them answered, yeah, you can be whatever you want to be. So he pushes them on this and and he eventually gets to the point where he's asking them, if I want to be a female who's black and six foot four, can I be? Now, it turns out this is a very cruel thing to do to modern university students these days. Watching the the pain on their faces as they try to answer is excruciating because they're having to choose between freedom and what most of us would consider to be a pretty obvious truth. No. I mean, they should have just said to this guy, no, 
and thanks for walking me into a trap, loser. But instead, many, many of the university students very awkwardly still answered, yeah, yeah, you can be whatever you want to be, when clearly this annoying little white man just couldn't be. This is reflective of our culture. Freedom in our minds equals radical self-determination. It means an independent spirit. It means having the ability to listen to the, the voice within and block out all other voices. And so the only truth that's relevant to our kind of freedom is being true to self. But Jesus says true freedom can only come from outside ourselves. True freedom always comes with the truth. And he says the truth only comes from knowing him. Unlike us, Jesus here is, they're a bit different. They they don't think freedom is found in that kind of radical self-determination. But like us, they still look within to find freedom. They think their freedom is found in their heritage. So they they look within to their racial and their cultural descent as the grounds for their freedom. And like our culture today, Jesus' original hearers, they're offended by being offered freedom as a gift because people who think of themselves as free don't like being called slaves. So look at how they react In verse 33, these people who just moments before were believing in Jesus. They say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, sure, they're at the festival of tabernacles, remembering how God freed them from slavery to Egypt. Sure, they're, they're pretty much slaves of the Romans right at this very moment. But putting that truth aside, how dare Jesus question their freedom? And call them, God's chosen people, call them slaves. They push truth aside. They look within themselves and they call themselves free. And it's what all humans do in all sorts of different ways. We're free because of our heritage. We're free because of our enlightened secularism. Even we're free because of our religion. But whenever we think freedom is found outside of God himself, we're all doing the same thing. We're choosing freedom over truth. And Jesus, he labels our kind of freedom something completely different. Look at verse 44. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We think of sin as being freedom. Sin is wanting to cast off God's rule of our lives and so sin seems like freedom to do what we want to do and be who we want to be. But Jesus flips the idea completely on its head. Sin isn't about freedom, he says, it's about slavery. We actually saw this last week in, um, in the speech that David Foster Wallace gave to some graduating students, a guy who's not a Christian who is an author in America and who once said in a speech, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. 
worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Whenever we choose something over God, we're offering ourselves as worshippers of that thing. We're allowing ourselves to be mastered. Whatever it is, we think it's offering us life, but it will fail us. And in the end, it will suck life out of us and it will enslave us. And Jesus says here, if, if you've ever pushed God aside and sinned, then we've become a slave to sin. Our minds are trapped. They're trapped into thinking that God doesn't know what's best for us. And we can't escape thinking that God doesn't have our best interests at heart. We can't stop thinking that He doesn't have the right to expect us to listen to Him. And we can't stop living like we know what's best for us, even if we wanted to stop. One year for for Christmas, I got um, an old school kind of remote control car. You know, the ones that were joined on with the the wire to the... um, Some of the people under kind of 20 are saying, no, what is that? But it was an old school kind of one. But down the road, there were kids that had the real sort, you know, the noisy fumes coming out of it, zipping around. And they'd they'd zip it round you and round you just to irritate you. It felt so pathetic with this little one on a wire. I really wanted one of those cars. But I discovered that when you cut the wire, you don't get freedom. What you get is in trouble with off your parents. And you get a broken car that looks free, looks good, but it's dead and pretty soon it's going to be thrown out. And no matter how much sticky tape you put on it, things just can't go back to how they were. Jesus says that sin is like, like cutting ourselves off from God and it's broken us and trapped us and we can't change now even if we want to. But this is too much for the people who are listening to Jesus. They just cannot accept his diagnosis of him. They can't accept that they're enslaved and they need to be freed by Jesus. And so Jesus tells them that the rabbit hole gets even deeper. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus is saying that we're not simply enslaved to our vices. We're not simply victims of of our poor choices. We're actually enslaved by someone. We either belong to Jesus or we belong with the devil. And this has got nothing to do with what usually jumps into our minds when we think about this. It's got nothing to do with twirling heads and horror movies. It's actually far worse than that. In verse 44, Jesus tells us what it means. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. See, what it means is that we belong to the enemy of truth and life itself, even though we don't see it. So we think we're realising the truth, but we're actually closing our eyes to it. And we think we're receiving life, but, but we're giving it away. And so without ever knowing it, we become more and more like the devil, life-taking, truth-hating, 
But if you're like me, you'll find this idea hard to swallow. It just feels too dark. It feels like Jesus is is overstating the case. We can accept that a a lot of humanity is life-taking and and lying, like North Korea seems to live on lies and and life-taking, sucking the life out of its people. And we can accept that that this world is often like that, but it's, it's hard to accept that we're like that. The crowd is exactly the same. They can't handle Jesus' assessment of them. But did you see where they end up? Ironically, they end up picking up stones to kill him. But isn't Jesus right about these things, that our sin has enslaved us? Isn't he right that every quest for freedom outside of God actually harms us? And isn't he right that we can't help but push down truth and actually lean towards being life-takers. See, it's not just pulling a trigger that's life-taking. That does it suddenly and, and dramatically and permanently, but there are many other ways to slowly drain life away. Isn't greed life-taking? Or adultery? Or alcoholism? Drug addiction? Failing in marriage? Even laziness and selfishness can be life-taking. I reckon you see this in something like pornography, which affects so many people, especially men. The lie, the lie is that, it, that it's harmless fun, that it's life-enhancing. But the reality is that pornography is reducing humans to objects of gratification. It's emptying the lives of everyone involved, emptying the lives, their lives of dignity and, and reducing them to something to be consumed. That's life-taking. And if we're married or going to be married, it's harming proper intimacy and it's harming expectations. It's betraying trust. It's a lie. It's both a lie and life-draining. And when we choose to live that lie, we're not masters of our own destiny. We're enslaved. We're enslaved to thinking that our sexual expression should come before God and His good plan for us. And it's actually the same for every sin. We're slaves to a lie and we're slaves to life-taking and as we do it, our own life is sucked out from us and we're all in this state. But Jesus says in verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And this brings us to our second point, which we're just going to look at super briefly. Jesus brings the gift of freedom from slavery to sin. God is to us what tracks are to a train, or what the ocean is to a fish, or what a mother is to an unborn baby, freedom. But a train off the tracks, or a fish on the beach, or a miscarriage baby, and us separated from God, that's not freedom. The truth is, freedom is only found in God. And God's gift to us in giving us Jesus is that God is giving us the one way back to that freedom. Look at what God gives us very briefly. We'll zip through this passage. Verse 36, what God gives us in Jesus is the Son who sets slaves free. In verse 38, He gives us the one who speaks what He's heard from His Father. In verse 40, He gives us the one who speaks the truth from God. 
Verse 46, he gives us the one who is without sin. Verse 47, the one who speaks the words of God. 51, the one who's able to save us from death. 54, the one who is glorified by God the Father, who doesn't share his glory with anyone. 56, he gives us the one who is greater than Abraham and anticipated with joy by Abraham. And 58, in giving us Jesus, he gives us the one who alone can be called I am. And this brings us to our final point. Jesus brings us the gift of relationship with the God of pure freedom. Jesus points out to the people that he's talking to that their claim to have freedom because of their connection to Abraham is an empty claim. Because even Abraham himself longed for the freedom that would come with Jesus. He longed for the blessing of the world. And Jesus points out to them that he's not just the fulfillment of Abraham's dream. He's the source behind even Abraham. There they'll find Jesus, the source of all life who stands behind every good thing. Look at verse 57 and how they react. They say, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus doesn't say, before Abraham was born, I was. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. This is a strange way of speaking, but the people listening understand exactly what Jesus is saying. Now his language is clear, but they can't accept it. In verse 59, they pick up stones to stone him because they recognize that Jesus is making a claim to be divine. That's because the name for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, which means, I am. In Exodus 3.14, Moses asked God his name and God says, I am who I am. Now, I'm not sure what name Moses expected God to say when he asked. What name could possibly encompass and contain God? Any name would, would limit him. No name could, could fully capture who God is, except this name, which reveals that God alone is pure existence. And God alone is truly free to be whoever he wants to be and whatever he wants to be. He is the one and only being who's completely free to self-determine. I am who I am. This is the truth that we try to deny, that all sin denies. Sin is is kind of like identity fraud. We're attempting to take the name and the identity of God and we believe the lie that we can actually do it. And when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am... He's saying that he is himself this God. So that remaining in his word means giving up the lie that we can be like God and instead reconnecting with the source of all life and so in him finding true freedom in life. On Tuesday night I was was reminded by a friend of um, just what a gift God's freedom is especially and even in the practicalities of life. 
So she was ringing to tell Kathy and I that after years and years of trying to have a baby, that she was finally 12 weeks pregnant. And she said in this conversation, um, they're very good friends, that IVF has just been so hard and so exhausting, which many other people have told me is the case as well. But then she said, but I've actually been experiencing a lot of freedom. Now, that really struck me, not just because this week I've been thinking about this sermon on freedom, which she didn't know about, but also because it's completely not what you'd expect. It's not what you'd expect from someone who's just done 18 months of IVF. And she went on and she said that she was feeling freedom because she knew she didn't need to worry. In fact, she felt that her relationship with God had actually grown enormously because she knew that she could say to God, you've got this. And whether God in the end gave them kids or not, that was still true. And so she said, I've actually been experiencing a lot of joy this year. And she said, I've got freedom because I can only do what I can do and it's all in God's hands anyway. My friend, she, she knows that freedom doesn't come from being able to have a baby, as great as that is. She knows that true freedom is found in knowing Jesus And when we know this truth, we can be spared the pain of so many of the web of lies that exist in this world. Family is the most important thing in the world. Sexuality must always be expressed. Life exists in our collection of experiences. No, lies. Life exists in Jesus. And knowing this truth gives us freedom forever as well as freedom now. This Christmas, I I hope you really get the chance to, to reflect deeply on what God is actually giving to us. The gift there in the manger is the one who alone is the great I am. The one who alone has the right to self-determine and to be whoever he wants to be. And yet think about what he chooses to be. Think about what our God does with this freedom. He determines to be the God who will be there for us. He gives up his freedom to win ours back. He lowers himself to become one of us so that he can speak the truth to us and break us out of our slavery. He is the God who in Jesus has come to hold himself on that cross so that he can break sin's hold over us. See, no name could ever encompass God. And yet he takes on willingly the name Jesus, Yeshua, which means I am saves. It's as we remain in Jesus, it's as we're captive to Jesus that we're truly free, not as a means to some greater end, but because knowing Jesus is itself freedom. Knowing Jesus is the end. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and the way he frees our enslaved minds and hearts to see the God you really are. Lord, help us not to go back to the lies of this world or think that they can somehow compare to you. Lord, help us to see clearly, which you've enabled us to do in Jesus, just how great he is just how wonderful knowing him is. And Lord, steer us clear of the web of lies that this life will throw at us to try and find life outside you. 
Instead, Lord, this Christmas and always help us to truly rejoice and live in knowing you and glorifying you with all of our being. We thank you so much for this gift. We ask that we would truly see the depth and the wonder of it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.